The Lord is so good. I'm so glad that we can talk about the generations because this is a rare church. We have the different generations represented because we're one generation, and that's the God we serve. Can we thank the band and the worship team as they clear the stage right now? Go ahead, Jake. You guys can, yeah, can clear the stage. But today, some of you came in and you're wondering what they were doing outside. They were playing bingo. And some of you, they might be outside and they never come church yet, but some of you, you did well. You said, no, I'm going to hesitate. I'm not going to be tempted. I'm going to come hear the Word of God. Then I'm going to have fun playing bingo. But we also have a breakfast for you. Uh, for those of you who are our forerunners, and we're celebrating that today, and we'll get more into that. The question is this, and, and you can take out your bulletins as we prepare for this morning, because we're in this series, God, People, and Change Lives. But we're going to be talking about getting heaven's attention. Getting heaven's attention. I think we all want to capture heaven's attention. And you and I do things every day that gets people's attention. What gets your attention? What is it that that you do or, or the things that surround you that captures your attention? For some of us, a sale sign captures our attention. Like when we're shopping and we see 50% off. We just leave our spouse because we're going to go buy something. We don't even have money, but it's 50% off. We don't even need it, but because it's on clearance, we buy it. And we accumulate all these things. Why? Because something captured our attention. Some of us will go to like Costco and, and we go food shopping, but the food samplers capture our attention. And we see all the different food items, and we act like we're going to buy. We're like, hey, so what is that? Portuguese sausage. Hey, I never, I could try one. Hmm, not bad. What's, what's the inside? Hey, hmm, I can have two more. For my, for my auntie. And we, we, we make a plate. Why? Because these certain foods capture our attention. Many things capture our attention. Your spouse captures your attention. Look at them. If they're with you today. There's things that capture our attention. Some of us, when, we, when we're on the beach, the ocean captures our attention. A sunset captures our attention. But nothing captures heaven's attention greater than people, than the things that people do for God. We're going to learn from the life of two people, from the life of Job and the life of Jesus Christ, and how we can capture heaven's attention. I think if there's anything we want to capture, we want to capture heaven's attention. And today, that's what we want to look at. So you can take out your notes. In the book of Job, it says this in Job 1, 6 through 8. It says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. See, this guy Job, he didn't live a life that was the, the smoothest life. But the Bible says that he was blameless, complete integrity, fears God, and stays away from evil. If you know the life of Job, you know that, that yes, he lived a great life, and he was, he was uh, someone who lived a, a life that was 
a life of integrity with the Lord and with people. But we also know that he was stricken with boils. He got sick and, and he got to a place in life where he wasn't feeling good because he was going through this illness. But even though he was going through this difficult season, this is what he said, Though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's the kind of heart that Job had. He said, no matter what I'm going through, I will still trust God. And he lived that kind of life. He didn't live a smooth life. Many of us, we don't live a smooth life, but we can learn from the life of Job. And in everything that Job did, and the things that he went through, his friends came alongside to console him. Kind of like what we have, you know, when, when we're going through a difficult period or a difficult time, our friends will come alongside, or people, and they'll say, Hey, how are you doing? Everything okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. And Job was at his worst. But his friends came alongside of him, and they said, You know, Job, the reason why you all bust up is because you're sinning. The things that you're doing is, is sin. Come on, Job, confess. Just tell us what you're doing that is wrong, and then you can confess it to God, then everything will be fine. And Job said, I, I'm not. In fact, Job was the kind of person where he would, he would pray for his children. He would take good care of his family. But then in one, one season, his family was taken away. In fact, they, they died, they, and, and his fields were burnt, his, his, his cattle and his... All of his livestock were gone. He had much, but then all of a sudden he had nothing. But Job still stayed focused on who God was. And Job captured heaven's attention. He didn't waver and he didn't say, well, then if this is going to happen in my life, then forget about God, forget about whatever God wants to do in my life. No, he said, I'm going to stay true to God because I know He is true regardless of what I'm going through. I will still trust in Him. I think that's what I love about this church and, and the privilege I have of being a part of this church where we can celebrate our forerunners, those that have paved the way for us to be in a place like this, to know our God and to, to as the Bible says, to praise the Lord. To get to know the God of the universe, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that you have made many sacrifices. And no matter what you've gone through, you have continuously said to the Lord, no matter what goes on in my life, I will still trust in you. And that's the legacy you pass on to the next generation. And that's what Job was doing. Job was, was a blameless man, but he wanted to pass that on to the next generation. In fact, he also... When his children, and I think we do this, even with our grandchildren, when they go out and party, you pray for them. That's what Job did. And Job did this. He would, he would when, when his children would go out and party, he would go before the Lord and he would say, Lord, please watch over my children and my grandchildren. He would plead with the Lord. And then, not only that, what Job did was the next day, when his children were all hung over, he would grab them and drag them, maybe not literally, but he would get them to worship God. And this is what he said. He would offer God a, an offering, and then he would say to the Lord, just in case my children sinned, I'm standing in the gap for them. And his kids could have been all oh, boss, all oh, hangover, and just all oh, headache and everything. They didn't realize what, what was going on. All they knew was they had a father who cared for them and would stand in the gap. And Job would say to the Lord, I want to live my life pleasing to you. And I pray for my children and my grandchildren. Let me tell you something. When you pray for your children and your grandchildren and beyond, it does something. 
It makes an impact in their lives. And I think all of us, I think if, if there were any attention we would want to capture, it would be heaven's attention. And, that, and that's what Job did. Job was able to capture heaven's attention. And every single person, every one of us, can get heaven's attention. We're going to delve into the life of Job and Jesus to find out some key principles on getting heaven's attention. And at the same time, find out what are the blessings of getting heaven's attention. And although Job was a wealthy man and loved his family and prayed fervently over them and worshipped God fervently, we're going to find out from his life also that he didn't just go through the motions, but that he pursued God with all of his heart. In fact, Job did everything heart first. And we can write that in our first point. To seek God heart first. But what does that mean to seek God heart first? What does it mean to put your heart first and put your heart forward? To seek God heart first. Well, I look at it as shopping. When you go grocery shopping, most of the times you have a list. You put together a list, what you want to purchase, so that when you go in there, you're organized. The professional shoppers, they got it down. You got coupons. You buy $300 worth of equipment or food, and you come out only spending $30 because you're a professional at this. But you go in there, and you just go through the motions of shopping. You'll go through the list. But imagine if someone gave you a $100,000 shopping spree at your favorite outlet for the women, coach, or your favorite shoes, or for the men, whatever. Maybe, maybe uh, you go to your favorite automotive or even your favorite car dealerships. Or maybe you'd go to a sporting shop or a fishing supply store. Imagine that, $100,000. Now, shopping is different. Now, you shop with all your heart. You don't just go in there, oh, shopping spree, shopping spree, buy whatever I like. I just go buy everything. No, no. You pause and you think, what do I really want? And it's everything your heart would desire. Well, that's what God looks for. He says, I want heart first. That He's given us freely His Son, Jesus Christ, and all of heaven, all of eternity. And He says, now live your life heart first. See, when we seek God heart first, then, then whatever, whatever comes our way, whether it be unforgiveness, you're quick to forgive. You're able to receive godly correction through whatever means that may be. When we live heart first, we, we're able to receive the kind of correction that God brings to us. And God will bring godly correction through all kinds of ways. It could be in a church setting like this, or, or it could be when you read the Bible. It could be from a great friend or a family member. They'll come alongside of you and they'll say, hey, you know, A, B, C, these are some things and, and I love you and I want the best for you. But when you're living heart first, then you're able to receive that. And you, when you're seeking God heart first, you're okay when there's that godly correction. You live a life that's surrendered to Jesus Christ. Here's how the Bible puts it, Proverbs 21, 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Yeah, we can have our own way. We can, we can make whatever decision we want to make. Why? Because every way is right in our own eyes. Most of the arguments we have has nothing to do with the problem at hand. It has to do with who believes they are right. That's what it's all about. You go back and forth, back and forth. And when the, when the argument is done, even though you're wrong, you'll say, that's all I'm trying to say. You know, I'm just trying to say that. 
But when we seek God's heart first, it shows and everyone can see it. That's how the book of Psalm puts it, Psalm 145, verse 18. This says that the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Do I call upon God in truth? See, when you call upon God, are you calling upon Him in truth? Or are we calling upon Him in being false? In the things that we feel that, okay, we, I don't understand this, Lord, but, you know, I, I think I'm right. So I'm praying for this person that you change their heart because I believe I'm right. Rather than saying, Lord, whatever you want, whatever your will is, I'm seeking you with all my heart, heart first. And however you want this situation to play out, I trust in you. That captures heaven's attention because it's heart first. Are we open and honest with God when He speaks to us? Are our hearts engaged? Do we call upon Him in truth? When we seek God with heart first, it just captures all of heaven. The Bible says it like this in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is what? Completely His. Completely. You can circle that word if you want. Completely His. Not half-heartedly, not three-quarters, not seven-eighths. Completely His. Let me ask you this question. Let's just say you ate out. And they said, oh, here's what you're going to have on your plate. And they mentioned, you know, two scoops rice. And you have maybe a seared ahi. You have a salad on the side. And then you have soup and maybe mac salad or something. They brought you your plate and it was missing mac salad. Some of you would be like, I'm not coming back. Or some of you would say, excuse me, I think you forgot the mac salad. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'll go get it. Why? Because that wasn't completely what you were paying for. God paid for your entire heart through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe He deserves completely, entirely our hearts. That's what He's saying. I'm looking throughout the entire earth. Looking for hearts that are completely mine. But here's the key. Here's the blessing. That I may strongly support you. That's what he's saying. When a heart seeks God, it captures all of heaven. It gets heaven's attention. Where God says, I'm, I'm looking throughout the entire earth. And I stop on those whose hearts are completely mine. Why? Because I want to strongly support you. Sometimes we feel like God's not there. The question is, if, not that if God's not there. The question is, is my heart completely His? Or is my heart given to something else? That's what I love about this church. That's what I love about our forerunners, our kupuna. That they go heart first. That they have done everything that they can to do well for family, to do well for the, the church. And because of you and what you've done, we have a place like this where we can worship. One of the things that I notice is the, the, the more we grow in maturity, the less we're concerned about petty things. Like when you're younger, it takes so long to, for, for, to get ready and, because you want to look good for people. But as you, as you mature and as you grow in age, you grow up looking good already. You don't have to worry about anything. You could care less. But I think as we grow and as we mature in the Lord, there's certain things that don't bother us anymore. See, that's the legacy that our forerunners leave for us. There's certain things that they'll say, you know, that's not that big of a deal. The things you're going through, petty compared to all the things you can be doing. You're wasting your time dealing with this. You could be living your life. 
Ask them. Ask our forerunners. Ask them, in the situations that you're going through, what should you do? You know, many times they'll say, you know, I went through that. And you'll get through it. They'll give you so much wisdom. They don't need to, they don't need to live through the same thing over and over. They come to a place in life where they say, you know what? I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to let those things drag me down. In other words, they don't, they don't live to please people. They live to please the Lord. That's what our foreigners teach us. That's what Job was doing. Job was living to please God. And you can write that in your second point. Live to please the Lord. Live to please Him. That's what, that's what Job was all about. He was living a life that was pleasing to God. He lived consistently to please God. He came to God in humility, not in a religious way. He, he, he came to be pleasing to God. Here's how Corinthians puts it, 2 Corinthians 5.9. It says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. So it doesn't matter if it's here on earth or when we're in heaven, our goal is to please Him. That's our goal. That's what we strive for. And when we're, we're living to please Him, it releases us from all the complications that comes with trying to please people. Because now we're living to please Him. We want to do good for Him. And Jesus modeled that kind of lifestyle so well. He modeled it for us. With Jesus Christ, God was everything. He lived for God first. He lived to please God. In fact, before Jesus started His public ministry... He, he, he went to pray and he prayed for 40 days and he fasted. And, and before he started his ministry, he was doing things that were already pleasing to God. By the time he came to John the Baptist, John the Baptist recognized Jesus and John and Jesus were cousins. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And John said to Jesus, uh, I, I need to be baptized by you. Not me baptize you. And Jesus said, no, 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 John. Permit it to be so, for this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Why did Jesus say that? Because he lived to please God. That's what he lived for. He lived to do everything that was pleasing to the Father. And then Jesus was baptized. And right after he was baptized, we see heaven pause for a moment. And in the book of Matthew 3.17, it says, And suddenly... A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus didn't do any miracles yet. He didn't preach a word to people. He didn't bring anyone back to life. But the Lord God above said, I am well pleased. What was it? What was it about Jesus that, that caused him to be pleasing? It was this, his relationship the Father. Everything was God first. Everything was heart first with God. He lived to please God. You know what that teaches me? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with our Father God. That we may feel, but maybe I have to do this, this, and this. Then, then I can come to church. I'm not ready to come to church yet. Nobody is ready to come to church. That's why Jesus came to us. When can we be ready for a perfect God? When we don't sin? That's going to take a long time. When, when are we ready? We're never ready. But He's always ready. That's why He came. 
So you may think, oh, I got to get my act together. No need. You don't have to. You come just as you are because Jesus already has his act together. And it's he that we follow, not him that follows us. So all are welcome into his kingdom. It doesn't matter what your background is, where you're from. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is you come just as you are. And Jesus does the rest. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Don't fix your eyes on another person or a pastor or a church. You fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll be okay. And what he does is he surrounds you with loving people. He surrounds us with forerunners that pave the way for us to come to know him even more. You don't have to do much. Our grandchildren, our children, they really don't have to do much for us to be pleased. They just got to be cute. You know, they just lie there. And we're like, oh, this is so cute. We're so pleased. Our grandchildren, they, you know, as grandparents, not much bothers us about our grandchildren. For some reason, like with our kids, every moment we gave them lickings. But with our grandchildren, oh, we just shower them with love. And our kids are like, hey, you gave me lickings when I did that. Well, you the parent and you give them lickings. I'm just going to love them. And it's just different. See, you, you, you live a life that's pleasing to God. Because of the relationship. That's what it comes down to. It's our relationship with God. When you have a relationship with someone, you practically value the same things. You do. You value the same things. Heidi and I, we, we value the same things. We value Jesus Christ. We value this church. We value the fellowship time. We value laughter. We value our family. We value art and ministry. We value people. And this keeps our relationship strong because we value the same things. And so if we're ever going to get heaven's attention, then we need to value the things of God. And you can write that in your last point. To value what God values. Do you value what God values? Do you value the things of God? Do you see the things that He values and you value the same thing? Now, there, there are many things that we can value in life, but there's one thing that God values more than anything else, and it's found in John 3.16. We're going to read it together. It's the most famous scripture in all the Bible. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, you know what the Bible is saying? It's not that God loves the world, the earth, and volcanic activity, and, and the landscape, and the oceans, and the sunsets. Although great, how we know it's not about the actual earth is it says, and whoever believes in Him. Not whatever believes in Him. It's whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God values people the most. And nothing gets heaven's attention more than someone who values what God values. And when you see someone with the same value and the things that you value that they value, doesn't it not get your attention? I think it does. Before I came to know Jesus, I didn't like coming to church. I just didn't like it. Church didn't get my attention. I looked for every single excuse why I shouldn't go to church. I would say, oh, I'm kind of sick today. Oh, I get headache. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I worked late last night. Oh, my back's sore. I cannot. I cannot. And I looked for every single excuse. But not until I came to know Jesus Christ that I began to value what God valued. 
Then coming to church wasn't a hard thing. Why? Because God values church. It's what he calls his bride. It's what he died for. He died for you and I. The church is not a building. The church is you. Church is not a place we go. Church is something we are. God paid the price for us. And so now we value the same things that God values. And when you value what God values, it gets his attention. Because his eyes are moving to and fro throughout the entire earth, looking for hearts that are set on him. And when you serve for the cause of Christ, it captures heaven's attention. Because you're valuing the things of God. God values serving. When you greet one another and you greet one another with the love of God, it captures heaven's attention. Our greeters, they do such a great job. They're outside and they're saying, good morning. Would you like a name tag? No, no. I don't like one name tag. No. You know my name already. You know my name. And we walk right by them. They, they are in a hit-miss ministry. Sometimes they hit and sometimes they miss. But they still smile. I know all of you wear name tags. It's a great thing. That way we get to know each other. Some people just walk by. But listen, they still love people. Our, our uh, servants right now watching the babies and watching our little ones and our youth. You try watch your kids without you. You know what I mean? Yeah, they love God. Why? Because they value the things that God values. After this, and maybe some of you already ate breakfast, but we're, we're um, serving those, our forerunners, breakfast this morning and free of charge because it's a small way of saying thank you for all that you do. But right after service, right now they're preparing for you. They're playing bingo and getting ready for you to have fun today. Because they want to serve you. Why? Because they value you. That's why we do what we do. Because we value the things that God values. When you give to the Lord, it captures all of heaven. Because you're valuing what God values also. Here's what happened to Job as he continued to value what God valued. And even though he went through a tremendous and painful and and complicated life, this is what happened in Job 42 verse 12. It says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than the beginning. Even more than the beginning. I pray that God blesses the second half of your life. That although all this was taken away from Job and things were were gone from his life, God doubled what he had. I pray, I pray that God will double what you had in the first half of of your life in the second half of your life. It continues in Job, and it's not in your notes, but in Job 42, 16. It says, after this, watch this, Job, and this is after all of this took place. Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. I pray you get to see your children's children's children. And what a blessing that will be. We had some people that we would, uh, on, on video, that we're going to take a look at, that just gave a little bit of the heart behind what we're celebrating today. So if you would pay attention to the video screens, and then we'll continue. I like the best about New Hope is that it's the most huggy and lovey church. I mean, there isn't a 
there isn't a stranger here. And when there is one, we rally around that person to make them feel comfortable and wanted and needed. What do I love about New Hope? I love the people, I love the staff, I love the volunteers, I love the ministries. It's a church that helps you to know all about scripture and all about Jesus Christ and God in a really humble and simple way. Oh, I love everything. It's so beautiful. People get so much aloha at this church. I love the people. I love everybody here. There's people I wave to as they're leaving because I'm in the parking lot. And I know they don't know me, but they wave back anyway. It helps to nurture the person that I am. Because the God I love is within me. And if you're not there, I get reminded by the beautiful people that's here about the God that we all serve. That's what I love about you. This church is so involved with children, you know, bringing them up. And uh, they're going to be our future of this church. They're going to be leaders. I still see that love continuing. I see it growing from a younger, younger uh, group to, um, to the older group. I see this just getting bigger and bigger. Well, I think it's mainly concentration on the youth where they have to bring it up so that they have a continuation of the spirit of your hope. Not only the old folks like myself when they will pass away and there goes the church. So I think the leaders are really into it that says that the youth are the future of the church. So I see the growth. It continues. Our pastor works hard at it. And I know we have a wonderful staff that supports him. And I don't think we could find a better place to be. We just love it here. So, I think all of us, we, you know, we understand that the Lord says to pass down from the next gener- to the next generation the wonders that he has done. At the same time, this is a day where we get to honor you as those who have, have done well. You've made many sacrifices. You have many things that, that you've been through. And because of what you've done, we get to know Jesus Christ. Your family gets to know the Lord. And the things that you have done, we just want to honor you today. Now, here's, here's what we had to do, because the Bible doesn't say at what age, okay? The Bible just says, says to honor our elders, to honor those where honor is due. But we had to come up with an age, and so we said 55. Now, just embrace it today, okay? Be okay with it. I know some of you will stand up and say, oh, I never know you was 55. It's just an age, we need that so that you can have free breakfast. We need some mark. We can't go by hair. Some of us dye our hair, so we can't go by that. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just to honor you today. Okay? So be bold this morning. I'm going to ask those. If you are 55 and above, then I'm going to ask you if we could honor you and give us the privilege of honoring you today. Would you do that? Would you stand right now? If you're 55 and... Yes! Yes! People, there you go. We love you. We love you. 
Yes, we honor you today. We thank you. We thank you. Okay, you can be seated now. I, yeah. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I love about this generation? Is some of you will stand up like, yeah, yeah, hey, me. It's me. I, I, I don't care. Some are like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. Not taking picture, huh? But again, we just want to honor you. And we want to thank you for everything that you do, for everything you've done for your family, everything that you've done for this church, and everything you're doing for this next generation coming up. I tell you, we need all the help we can get. And God has given us you to pave the way for us and beyond as we continue to know more about him. Would you pray with me? We're going to pray, bow our heads together. Lord, I thank you for this church. And not just because there's different generations that are represented here, but because you are a God, the God of generations. That you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're the God of our forefathers. You're the God who never changes. And you always give us people that can impart wisdom to us. And so I pray for this generation that has paved the way. We call them our forerunners. Or here in Hawaii, we call them our kupuna. That you would bless the second half of their life. And at the same time, that you would give them a long life that they would be able to see their children's children and even beyond. Give them good health, Lord. And we pray for them in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Can we thank our kupuna one more time?